is to talk about succeeding in discipline. Um, before I start, almost every time I talk at a parenting conference, I try to mention something. I spoke yesterday about raising sons in the breakout session. And uh, when my oldest daughter, Georgia, was about five years old, <clears throat> we went on our first date. I had been anticipating that I would do something like dating my daughters, and she was the first one. <clears throat> so five years old, I said, Georgia, we're going to go on a date. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? She said, I want to go to Don Pablo's, which is a Mexican restaurant. And then after we go to Don Pablo's, I want to walk around the mall, and I want to eat ice cream, and I want to hold hands. All right, I can deliver every one of those things. So I probably had too high of an expectation for the level of conversation that we were going to have. So we're at Don Pablo's, and we're talking about Barbie and candy and dolls. And uh, we went to the mall. And we're eating ice cream and we're holding hands and we're still talking about Barbie and candy and dolls. And then out of the blue, she asked me this question. She said, Dad, guess what? I said, what? Barbie got a new camper. I don't know what. And she said this to me. When I grow up, I'm going to have a husband and I'm going to love him forever. I went, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking about Barbie and candy and dolls. And I just want to tell you, particularly you men, do not underestimate what is going on in a little girl's head when you're walking around the mall, holding hands, talking about candy and Barbie and dolls. That little girl, somehow, she had never been to a wedding. She didn't know anything about event planning about wedding dresses, about bridesmaids. She didn't know anything about anything. Somehow, that little girl is holding the hand of her father <coughs> and is fast-forwarded to someday when she's going to marry a guy. And here's what I think she was thinking. I know mom and dad go on dates. And I know they go to dinner, and I know they go to the mall, and they hold hands and eat ice cream. Because what is a Christian couple going to do? Karaoke, right? I mean, we just walk around them holding hands, right? Move, there's not any good movies out. We, we go to the 24-hour Walmart and walk around just because I'm fundamentally not going to come home before the kids are in bed. That is, that is lame. So we just stay out to the bitter end. And somehow, she's holding my hand thinking, I bet this is how mom feels. She's feeling some kind of warm feelings toward me, and I bet this is how mom feels about dad, and I bet this is how I'm going to feel about my husband when I grow up one day. And boom, she's fast-forwarded to 15 years from then, 16, 17 years from then. So don't underestimate those times when you think nothing's happening when you think it's a waste of time, when you think that all you're talking about is candy and Barbie and dolls, that is not all that is going on ever, ever, ever. Don't wait 
until you think, well, I'll wait until there's 13 or 14 so that I can spend some meaningful time. No, the, the time is meaningful. <clears throat> it just doesn't seem that way. Now, that has nothing to do with discipline. I just wanted you men to know. Uh, don't underestimate time that you spend with your younger children. Stuff is going on you don't know about. That your wives instinctively know is going on, but you might not instinctively know is going on. I want to tell you, stuff is going on. Good stuff. Incredible stuff. That you may not even get a chance. The reason why I say it is because I tried to get her to do that again. I mean, she's never said that to me since. The next time we went on a date, I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to go to McDonald's. No, 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 no. We're going to Don Pablo's, and we're going to get that same ice cream, and we're going to hold hands in the mall, and you're going to say that same thing you said to me last time. She's never said it since, but I, that doesn't matter because I still know what's going on. And your little boy, your little girl may not say things like that to you, but I'm just telling you, for your benefit, it got said to me one time, and I remember it forever, and I want you to know stuff is going on. So discipline. <clears throat> One of the things before we talk about discipline in terms of the Bible is to talk about the responsibility of leadership that you and I have been given in terms of our children. God gives parents an enormous responsibility. Enormous. And I'm certain all of you feel the weight of it. That's why you're here. But he's also given us the authority to carry it out. Now the problem is, authority has a bad word in our, is a bad word in our culture today. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody likes authority. Authority is a bad word in our culture. Most people want to feel like they're out from under authority. And yet... It's everywhere. In fact, it's one of God's stamps of himself on this world. Because think about it. It's everywhere. God has authority over the entire cosmos. Everything that is in existence, God has authority over it. That's the first line in the Bible. In the beginning, God in the beginning, God. So he's over everything that, that is in existence, God is over it. So there's this ultimate, complete, overarching authority that God has over everything. But then God delegates authority. So he creates Adam and Eve. And what does he tell Adam and Eve to do? Subdue the earth and exercise dominion over it. So now Adam and Eve have authority, <clears throat> and they're supposed to be fruitful, and they're supposed to multiply, but they're supposed to subdue the earth. <clears throat> Why do you think it is that people, maybe you, I certainly have done this, pay hundreds of dollars to go to a place like SeaWorld? I grew up in Florida. I've been to SeaWorld plenty of times. Why do people every day go to SeaWorld and pay hundreds of dollars to watch a man or a woman <clears throat> command a giant 
multi-ton killer whale with just hand motions and a whistle. Why do people pay money to watch that? Because it's instinctive in their own hearts. Because God put it in our hearts to exercise dominion and subdue the earth. Why do we pay money to go to a circus and watch the lion tamer with nothing but a whip get man-eating lions to sit on a little stool with their hands up like a little puppy? Why do we pay money for that? It's because it resonates in our heart that that is one of the ultimate examples of subduing the earth. A man-eating lion is sitting like a little puppy in front of a man with nothing but a whip. So Adam and Eve over creation, subdue the earth. Then you have Adam over the animals. Adam names all the animals. That's an exercising of his authority over the animals. Then you have in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings, all with some level of authority in the community of faith in the Old Testament. Ephesians 5, we haven't talked about that and probably won't be able to. But you have this setting up of the home where the husband has authority in the home. You have governmental authority in Romans 13 that God has given us government. And the government has authority over us for our protection, for our good. Then in Hebrews and 1 and 2 Timothy, you have something that I would refer to as pastoral authority. The, the local church and the, particularly the pastors have some level of authority over your spiritual lives. <clears throat> and then in Ephesians 6, children obey your parents. It's everywhere. God has set up authority structures everywhere and it's good and right. Now, in a fallen world, people abuse authority. And that's a lot of times where we get our resistance to authority because we've seen it abused. Or those in authority over us have abused their authority over us, and so we resent it and and don't like it. But the fact of the matter is, in general, God has put that there for our good and for our protection. And i got to tell you, in nearly every parenting conference that I've ever spoken at, when I remind parents, you're in authority over your children, God has given you children, obey your parents. That's written directly to children. Think about it. It doesn't say parents, make sure your kids obey. It's written directly to children. The Bible, in particular, the Apostle Paul, is directly addressing children. Children, obey your parents. Do what they tell you to do. And in every parenting conference I've ever spoken at, where where I speak about that particular passage, and I do it at every parenting conference, Why wouldn't I? I always have three or four parents come up to me at the end. Now, don't do this just to make this come true today. But they come up to me at the end and they say, you know what the most meaningful thing that you said all weekend? What was it? Was it some brilliant insight? No, it was the reminder that parents are in authority over their children. Because think about it. Doesn't it so many times feel like they're running the show? Doesn't it feel so many times like they're dictating your schedule? They're dictating your life. It doesn't feel like all the time. In fact, a lot of the time, it doesn't feel like that you are in authority. Because so much of your life is dictated by their needs and their wants 
and their cries and their their all their 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 schedule is dictated your schedule is dictated by their schedule <clears throat> but i do want to remind you you are in authority there are so many christian parents in this country right now that are being held hostage by their own children because they're afraid that they're not going to be their friend. They're afraid that their kids aren't going to like them. They're afraid that their kids aren't going to love them. They're afraid their kids are going to resent them for making them do all these things. And it's a tightrope because you, you do want the end game. You want the end game to be your kids. When it's all said and done, they leave the house and they go and they're productive and they're godly and they're living their Christian lives out. And you want them to love and respect you when they're gone. And... There are so many things that happen from day to day to day to day that make you wonder, are they going to resent me if I make them do this? Are they going to grow up and hate me because I required this of them? Are they going to be mad at me the rest of their lives because I spanked them or because I disciplined them for this or for that or I made them miss this event or that event or I took the car keys away on senior prom night because they were just so disobedient and so disobedient and so rebellious and all those things come into play. <clears throat> Don't be held hostage in your own homes by your own children. God has given you a major responsibility, and he's given you the authority to do it. You have Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. Some of you are probably familiar with this story. Abraham has taken Isaac to sacrifice many times. This particular time, God has told Abraham to sacrifice his son. And Abraham, in order to be obedient, proceeds to, on that course, and they, they go up to the sacrifice, and finally Isaac asks, where's the, where's the sacrifice? He's recognizing, wait a minute, we don't have one. Abraham knows he has one. He just hasn't told Isaac. And Abraham instructs Isaac to get on that altar. Some of you can't even get your kid in your own car seat. God's given you authority. But secondly, <clears throat> before we even get into the act of discipline, what is the point of it? One of your primary responsibilities as a Christian parent is not just to get your children to obey externally. One of your primary jobs <clears throat> as a Christian parent is to reach the hearts of your children. So Proverbs 4, 23 says this, guard your heart. Why? For from it flows the spring of life. You and I, because we're fallen, <clears throat> We are many times just satisfied with external behavior. But God is always, 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 always concerned about the heart. Your heart and the heart of your children. God's always concerned about your heart and the heart of your children. 
And it's the behavior of our children. In fact, it's your behavior as well. It's anybody's behavior that reveals what's in the heart. <clears throat> Especially when you're alone. But in fact, it's not just that the heart reveals, that the behavior reveals what's in the heart. It's the heart that determines behavior. Your heart determines your behavior. In the end, you can't hide it. In the end, your children can't hide it. That's why Mark 7.21, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. <clears throat> Don't answer this question. How many of you in this room are dealing with the same thing over and over and over and over? It's because your heart hasn't changed. How many of you with your children are dealing with the same thing over and over and over and over? And you just think, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, spanking doesn't work. No, it's just their heart hasn't changed yet. What we want and what everybody wants, I want all of you to become more Christ-like way faster than I am. Isn't that how you feel? You want everybody else to be sanctified at a rate faster than you are. I want my wife to be more Christ-like sooner than I am. I want my kids to be more Christ-like way sooner than I am. I want you, I don't even know you, I want you to be more Christ-like way sooner than I am. I'm just sure of it. <clears throat> Here's the sad fact, and this is something I want you to be haunted by. Most Christian parents are really great at raising Pharisees. Most Christian parents are really great at raising Pharisees. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. What does that mean? On the outside, you're all cleaned up, but on the inside, you stink like rotting flesh. <clears throat> I'm guessing most of you have never seen an open grave. I've never seen an open grave. Closest thing I've come to my 19-year-old uh, son, Fisher, crazy Fisher, as I referred to him yesterday in the breakout session, and he's crazy in all the ways that a dad would want his son to be crazy. This kid is courageous. He's gutsy. He's gritty. <clears throat> he loves to hunt coyotes. There's some farmers in the town we live in, and they love Fisher. You know why? Because Fisher likes to get out there in, in the middle of the night. And for those of you that don't know what it involves to hunt a coyote... If you do it in a more sophisticated way, you go to the Cabela's and you get an electronic distressed animal collar. And you put it out there and it's electronic, it's got a remote control and it, it makes the call of a distressed rabbit. I've never actually heard a distressed rabbit, but somebody's recorded it apparently and now they go out there and there's a distressed rabbit call. And he hits that button and I said, Fisher, are you in a tree? No. 
Are you like behind a barbed wire? No. I said, you're sitting out in the open calling in coyotes? And he said, well, yeah. I said, how'd you learn how to do it? He said, YouTube. Oh, great. You're dead. You're dead. <clears throat> I said, I'll tell you one thing right now. You're 19. You're a grown man. You can do whatever you want to, generally speaking. If you want to go out there and hunt coyotes, you can. But I'll tell you right now, if something happens, I promise you I'm going to put on your tombstone, this fool got eaten alive by coyotes. All right, that's what I'm going to put on there. So you keep that in mind. There's another little element to coyote hunting that's gross. Fisher has out there what he calls a bait, bait box. Now, bait can mean all, all sorts of things. For him, bait means the dead deer on the side of the road. If you live in my, my town <clears throat> and you see a deer one day on the side of the road, the next day you don't see it, that's not because animal control picked it up. It's because Fisher picked it up. Fisher picks up the dead deer, he throws them on his truck, and he takes them out to the bait box, and he puts it out there because, because coyotes are scavengers. And if you ever smell that bait box, it will make you want to vomit. It will literally make you want to vomit unless you have the strongest stomach in history. And I only say that to just paint a picture for you when Jesus tells the Pharisees your whitewashed tombs that's that's the imagery he has in his mind because what's inside a tomb rotting flesh so he's telling them you're all cleaned up on the outside but on the inside you stink so bad it makes me want to vomit you stink so bad They're all cleaned up on the outside. <clears throat> we have a dog. I don't like the dog. It's not that I'm not a dog lover. I just, if I'm going to have a dog, I'd rather just have another person to raise. Because at least I can fire them out like an arrow in the hand of a warrior, right? That dog does nothing. <clears throat> and I told the kids, you can have a dog. But I want you to know right now, I will not feed the dog. I will not water the dog. I will not walk the dog. And rarely will I ever even pet the dog. That's how opposed to this I am. But I will let you have a dog. But if that dog is dependent upon me, that dog is going to die. You understand that. And I promise I will let that dog die. <clears throat> now, for those of you that are, have a soft heart for pets, Millie, our dog, is still alive. She's missed a few meals, I'm certain of it, but she's alive. She's been alive for four years in our house. And every night, <clears throat> I tell Millie, go to bed. And Millie's bed is in the basement. We have a finished basement. It's climate controlled. Don't worry about Millie. She's fine. Little cage down there that she sleeps. We call it the crate, but it's a cage. And she goes down in there. And when I tell Millie, go to bed, she gets real low to the ground. Some of you have dogs that do this. She gets real low to the ground, and she'll go forward a little bit, and she'll look back at me with total resentment and contempt. And then she'll go a little further and look back at me and then go all the way down to the basement. Now, there's an old story <clears throat> about a dad who tells his son, sit down. 
And the kid says, I don't want to sit down. He says, sit down. I don't want to sit down. Sit down. So the kid sits down. And then the boy looks up at his dad and says this. Some of you men, this is going to rile you up right now. He looks up at his dad and he says this. Dad, on the outside I'm sitting down, but on the inside I'm still standing up. All right, that doesn't fly. That does not fly. That's a heart issue, right? He's conformed on the outside. So Millie, I don't care about Millie. Millie could get in her crate and I can lock the door. And if Millie could talk, if she said something like this to me, hey, on the outside I'm in this cage, but on the inside I'm running through fields of clover. I don't care. She's a dog. She doesn't have a soul that's going to live forever. We're not raising pets. We're raising people. And while it doesn't matter one whit to me what Millie is thinking in that cage, it matters everything. It all matters what's going on in the heart of my children, and it matters to you what's going on in the hearts of your children. This is the hardest part of parenting. Discipline isn't the hardest part. We're going to get to that. But reaching the heart is the hardest part. It's the most exhausting part of parenting. Because you think about how easy it is just to say, at least they're sitting down. At least they're in bed. At least they ate their food. At least, at least, at least. But all we're doing in so many cases is being satisfied with mere external behavior and not really getting at the heart. <coughs> how, many, how many of you don't answer this? Because I know everybody's done this. I do it still, and I don't like doing it. How many of you have ever said to your kid, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Every one of you has said this. And what do they say? I don't know. And do you know why they say I don't know? Because they don't know. I mean, what really do we expect a five-year-old to say? Well, Mom and Dad, here's the thing. There, there's a story in the Bible about this man and woman, Adam and Eve. She ate the fruit, gave it to her husband, who was whoever sin entered into the world. I inherited the sin nature of Adam. So now, Romans 7, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. I mean, what do you want them to say? They don't know. That's part of the parenting process and reaching their heart. You help them know. And here's one, one worse. <clears throat> and I hate this one because I still do it, but I'm telling you, we literally could be undermining the gospel in our home by asking this question or saying this. I have said many times, I still say it. I can't believe I still say it because I keep telling parents not to say it. But it's almost impossible not to say. How many of you ever said this? I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. Now, Stay with me here because I'm with you on this, all right? I, I can't stop myself from saying it, but it is so wrong to say it. We might be undermining the gospel in our home because here's this. If my kids were smarter and ruder than they are and more disrespectful than they are, they could have said over the years, wait a minute. You're a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and you're telling me you have no category for what I just did? 
Like, am I the first kid ever in the universe to lie to their parents? Think about it. And the, the fact is, all of us in this room that are Christians, that have been Christians for any length of time, we actually can believe it. We actually have clear theological categories for why these kids are doing this. Because look yourself in the mirror. <clears throat> I could say to you, I can't believe you just did that. I can't believe you just thought that if I knew your thoughts. I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe you just said that in that way. We actually have a category for this so that I can look at my children and very calmly, even if I don't say it, think in my heart, yeah, I can believe this. We have a full explanation for it. And it has to do with Adam and Eve and inheriting the sin nature of Adam and living in a fallen world. And so part of the parenting process and discipline is helping, <coughs> helping them with the category. Here's why you did that. Here's what this is. This is idolatry. You say, well, do they know what idolatry is? No. Any more than they knew what a hamburger was before you put it in front of them. But you put a hamburger in front of a kid often enough and you say, this is a hamburger, this is a hamburger, this is a hamburger. Finally, they realize, oh, this is a hamburger. And you don't have to tell them anymore. So don't get all caught up. If they don't understand the word idolatry, fine. You can still use the word. And you're gonna use it often enough, believe me. <clears throat> you can use the word covetous. This is pride. This is rejection of authority. This is dishonoring your parents. And eventually they'll get it. So don't panic. Don't think you just have to tell them you're bad. We never tell our kids you're bad. What does that even mean? You're a bad boy. You're a bad girl. That, first of all, <clears throat> that's just not a label you want them to carry with them. Second of all, you want to be more specific you're demonstrating pride. You dishonored your parents. You just lied. This is called covetousness. You wanted that, and you expected to be able to be entitled to that. That is not yours. That's your sister's. That's your brother's. That's not yours. They'll get it eventually, just like they get everything else. Pizza. Candy. They learn. So when Gunner and Fisher were about nine and seven. Gunner comes running in the house. Fisher almost got hit by a car. Fisher almost got hit by a car. <clears throat> well, Fisher comes running in because we're getting ready to have a little trial here, and he knows it, and he's his, he's his own defense attorney, right? He's representing himself. So he comes in. And Gunner is telling the story. The car had to slam on brakes, and they honked, and blah, 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 and <clears throat> all of a sudden, it was apparent, obvious, that Fisher apparently had given Gunner a bad look because right in the middle of it all, Gunner says, Oh, uh uh, uh uh, Fisher, don't give me that look. You have told on me four times this week, and I have given you grace upon grace upon grace. No more. It is your turn to get into trouble now. So, I got a problem. And frankly, it's not with Fisher. I told Fisher, Son, listen to me. Can you please go out there and not get hit by a car? I don't, I literally have no time today to even go to an emergency room. Can you please not get hit by a car? Now go play. I say, Gunner, we got a problem. Well, he's looking at me indignant. What did I do? I said, here's the thing, Gunner. 
I said, you came into this house. You came in here. Pretending like you, you love your mom and dad so much that you don't want them to experience the heartache of a, a, a son getting hit by a car. You love your brother so much, you just can't bear the weight of him getting hurt outside. That's not why you're in here. That's not why you're in here. You're in here for one reason, revenge. That's why you're in here. You're all cleaned up on the outside, but on the inside you stink like rotting flesh. Now, I didn't tell them that part, but that's what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. And sure, I could have said, well, whatever. At least he probably did keep Fisher from getting hit by a car because Fisher's all amped up now, and I warned him, and we got that taken care of. So we'll just let it go. No, you can't let it go. You can't let that go. He's a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. My 16-year-old daughter, Peyton, <clears throat> we've got a Xbox and a Wii in our house. Don't judge me. We've got both of them, and they're mine. I got them for me. I don't like the new games. I like all the old school games. I like Wii bowling, and then I like all the Atari games that you can buy for Xbox. So back when I was, you know, 13 years old, they're mine. People always tell me, I'm not getting my kid an Xbox because they'll just want to play it all the time. I'm like, you realize you still own it, right? Like, it's yours. Everything in that house is mine. Everything. So you can say no. No, you're not playing it. I got tired of trying to figure out how, how often they had or hadn't played it, so we came up with a little system. <clears throat> I mean, they'd come and say, can we play the Xbox? Have you played it this week? No, not at all. And their eyes are bleeding because they played it so much. Right? So I, I couldn't keep track. So, so we came up with a little system. You get a 30-minute pass, three 30-minute passes, a little piece of square paper, square piece of paper, that you, like copy paper, and they put their name on it, and it's a, it's a pass. You get three 30-minute passes uh, during the week and then one 30-minute pass for the weekend. That's it. Now, you might think that's not enough. You might think that's too much. I don't care. That's just what we got going on. <clears throat> and it's like cash. If you, if, you, if you appreciate the system, it's like cash. When we first started the system, when they were little, I gave them the three passes, and they said, can I use one right now? Oh, yeah, go for it. And then they finished their 30 minutes. Can I use another one right now? Oh, yeah, oh, I insist. <laughs> can I use another one? Yeah, all three of them right on Monday. And then the rest of the week is like, wait a minute. And it teaches them economics, right? Five-year-olds can learn economics. They're not going to burn up all their cash on day one. They're going to save it, ration it out. So Peyton, my 16-year-old daughter, when she was about 10, I went upstairs to her room, just check on her, see how she's doing, and see what's going on up there, seeing if everybody's room is cleaned, which it wasn't, isn't ever And she's sitting in her bed with a pair of scissors and a piece of copy paper cutting out squares about the size of the game passes that we use. <clears throat> I said, what you doing, Peyton? Now, she's sweet. Oh, my goodness, is she sweet. And she's got a big smile. She said, I'm just cutting paper, Daddy. Just cutting paper. She's got a full counterfeit operation going on in that bedroom. <laughs> I 
I told that to a friend of mine, and he said, well, at least she told you the truth. What, what kind of truck did you just fall off of yesterday? Are you kidding me? She <clears throat> technically is cutting paper, but in her heart, she has a full plan on how to deceive her parents. Now, I don't know what she thought that I wasn't going to somehow recognize that she's down in the basement 40 hours this week playing the Xbox. But I am telling you, her heart is like rotting flesh. She is a Pharisee, and she is going to be a Pharisee if I don't deal with that. And time and time and time again, it is exhausting. But you cannot miss this as a Christian parent. This is at the heart. Reaching the heart of your children is at the heart of Christian parenting. And you've got to be good at it. And the good news is, like I said yesterday, you get so many test flights, you don't have to get good at it right this second. You're going to get better and better and better at it, but you've got to study them. And you've got to make sure at the younger ages when they're not smart and they're not sophisticated. Where's the remote control? It's not in the garbage. Okay, look in the garbage because that's where it is, right? They're not sophisticated. They don't know how to lie good when they're five. So you got to get them when they don't know how to do it well because when they're 14, 15, they get really good at it. Or can if you don't deal with it when they're younger. So finally, discipline. <clears throat> Proverbs says, spare the rod, hate the child. Why does it say that? That's strong language. And I believe it's talking about what we would refer to today as spanking. There's a breakout seminar called How to Give a Gospel-Centered Spanking today. And you ought to go to it. Because there is a proper way to spank that I, I think this is why most parents don't spank. Is they, number one, don't know how to do it. Number two, their parents did it and they didn't do it the right way. And they just think it doesn't work. It does work. It works. But you have to be consistent and there's a certain way to do it that highlights the gospel. So go to that. And why does the Bible say spare the rod and hate the child? Because children are not morally neutral. I, have never, I never taught my kids how to lie. I never taught them how to hate. I've never taught them how to hit I, each other. I hit a baseball, yes, not each other. I've never taught them how to steal a toy from a friend. Or, or their siblings. Never taught them any of that. And you've had the same experience. You don't teach them anything wrong. Why do they automatically do what's wrong? Because they're not morally neutral. That's why discipline is, is such a significant part of Christian parenting. <clears throat> Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. This is Hebrews. That after discipline, those that have been trained by discipline, Hebrews 12 says, produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because right behavior brings peace. If everybody was behaving rightly, we wouldn't need people called peace officers. Right behavior brings peace. And discipline brings about right behavior. Eventually. 
we have eight kids and people think that our house must be chaotic. It's really not. It's really not. It actually is a peaceful home. Now, I've got rambunctious boys, believe me. I like it that way. But that's different than chaos. That's different than rampant disobedience that produces chaos, disruption. And it's because, frankly, we've been very consistent in our discipline. It brings peace in the home. It really does. Now, because there's a breakout session on spanking, and it's nearly exactly how I would talk about spanking for various reasons, plagiarized, um, <clears throat> and I'm happy for it to be. I think spanking is the predominant mode of discipline at the younger ages, predominant. As a kid gets older, <clears throat> if you spank consistently at younger ages, it tapers off. My wife would call me when our kids were little and she would say, it seems like I've just been spanking all day long. And I'd say, well, tell me about your day. And she would tell me, and I would say, you know what? You've been spanking all day long. It's exhausting. But I want to tell you, especially you moms with young kids in here, there is fruit. It is going to seem like you're exhausted because you are exhausted, but there is fruit in it. I want to say a word to you dads. When you're home, you should do the spanking as best as possible. Take the burden off. And number, number one, it takes a burden off, but number two, you don't want to have a good cop, bad cop scenario in your house. I want my kids to know your mom spanks for lying and I spank for lying. I want to know your mom spanks for disobedience and I spank for disobedience. We're, we're a unified front. These kids are smart. Don't display a, a, a non-unified front. And it may seem like spanking doesn't work, but you haven't given enough time or you haven't been consistent enough. When the kids get older, <clears throat> you can remove some privileges. You got to give them some to remove them, though. Don't, don't just not let them do anything. You got to have something to take away. I know people say, they're never having an iPod. Well, I got to tell you, number one, an iPod is awesome because you actually can control. You got a list of all the songs they can potentially listen to. Like you can totally, you're in total control. You go on, on, on the website and you take a look at the music and you put on their iPod what you want them to listen to. And then you limit how often they can listen to it. But it's something to take away. It's a privilege to take away. You say, well, they're never going to watch TV. Well, I understand what you mean. I like TV. I don't watch too much TV. But I will say people that watch too much TV never think they watch too much TV. So maybe I do and I don't know it. But my point is, give them some kind of privilege to take away. People always kept saying to me, I bet you're dreading when your kids can drive. No, actually, I can't wait for them to drive because they're 15, they're in no man's land. I need car keys I can take away. Removal of privileges. Does timeout work? It might. At younger ages, no. No. You can, you can uh, buy into that illusion all day long if you want to. It doesn't work. Spanking is designed to associate some mild level of pain with their disobedience, with their sin. Now, I have one son, Fisher. Time out. 
when, when he was 10 and I would have to tell, if I told him, go to your room for an hour, he would ask me, can I please just get a spanking so I can go back outside? He hated it. He's an outdoorsman like you've never seen. This kid, when he was five, would get up ready for church on Sunday morning and then just go outside and wait for the rest of us. He sleeps outside. I'm not kidding. He's crazy. He just sleeps outside. Where are you going? I'm going to go sleep outside. Okay, fine. You're like John the Baptist. <laughs> Great. You're a survivor. My daughter, Eden, who's 18, when she was 14 or 15, if I'd have said, go to your room for an hour, she would have said, you mean I don't have to be around all you people for an hour? Awesome. What else do I got to do to get in there? Because she likes to be by herself. So it doesn't work for her. Could work for some kids when they get older. And the, the whole idea of discipline is to find consequences that your children don't like. And I don't mean uh, inappropriate things, okay? So just hear me say, I'm not talking about <clears throat> awful things. I'm just saying there are things they don't like. I had a friend who charged his daughter a nickel every time she talked back, and he said, it's not working. I said, yeah, because she can afford it. It's only a nickel. She got 40 nickels in her room right now. You got to make it something they can't afford. When my older two boys couldn't keep their room clean and it drove me crazy, I started charging them rent. Because you got to, as soon as they have money, that's yours. That's yours, like legally. Legally, it's yours. You can go in your kid's bank account right now and drain it, and nobody's going to come knocking at your door. It's yours. And so, my older two boys, and I'll be finished here. They couldn't keep the room clean. I walked up there and said, all right, I'm charging y'all rent. This is ridiculous. This is disrespectful. You don't have to have it spotless, but this is ridiculous. So I'm charging you $50 this month. That didn't work. I went up to 100 the next month. I said, here's, here's what I'm going to assure you of. I will get to a number you can't afford. It got up to $175 a month. Finally, I started paying attention. By then, I'd saved up $1,000. And you know what I did? I bought a giant screen TV for the basement, and I put it in the basement. And then I brought them down there. I said, look at that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, Dad, man, this is awesome. Now, you can't ever watch it. But I want to be clear on how I paid for it. You bought that for me. You guys are awesome. And your room's clean, correct? So there are ways... Our kids, when they were little, they couldn't pick up their toys. You know what we did? We put their toys, all the toys that were on the floor, we put them in a garbage bag. Now, I'm not going to throw them out because I paid for half of them. But I put all those toys on the floor. Apparently, you don't care about these toys. I put them in a garbage bag, and I put them in my bedroom. And then the next couple of days, the toys I found on the floor, I put them in a garbage bag and put them in my bedroom. Eventually, they had no toys. I'm not kidding. Well, then they start to pay attention, don't they? Dad, I think I can remember to put my toys in that big box in the closet. I've made it as easy as possible. Can't pick up your clothes? They're going in a garbage bag, and eventually you're not going to have any clothes. I've made it easy as possible. All you have to do to get clothes in the laundry room at our house, all the kids are upstairs, you have to be able to do this, pick up the clothes, walk over. I cut a hole in the wall with a chute that goes all the way down to the laundry room, and all you have to do is be able to do this, this, and then that. I don't know how much easier to make it. Drop them right down there in the laundry chute. So, I think some of us 
or too soft. Some of us are too, too harsh. I don't know which is which in here. If you're too harsh, back it down a notch. If you're too soft, amp it up a notch. And I don't know how else to tell you that. You're going to have to get people involved in your life to help you see, am I too harsh or am I not, or am I too soft? But odds are most of us are letting our kids get away with too much. And we keep talking and talking and talking and talking. I'm not all, I'm not insisting on everybody having a big family. That's not for everybody. And to be honest with you, there's a bunch of stuff I hadn't thought through. <laughs> it's too late now, I got eight. But I will tell you this. One of the reasons why people don't have more children than they do, and I don't care if you do or don't, so don't hear me saying this, but one of the reasons why people don't have more children than they do is because they're just exhausted because they're managing all of this and they're tolerating way too much. They're just tolerating way too much. All right. Well, I wish I had more time. I don't. I already went over time. That's the good thing about being a guest speaker. I can go home and uh, somebody else has to deal with me going over time. So, I'm sorry, but I'm kind of not sorry, so let's pray. Father, I am thankful, again, for an opportunity 